And churches, if they're healthy, should birth other churches who birth other churches who birth other churches. Churches should be pastor factories. And so the pastors, don't farm your responsibilities out to seminaries. Take responsibility and start one in your own church. Don't farm your kids off to school somewhere else. No, take responsibility and do it in your own church. Every church should have a Bible school. Every church should have um, a ministry to the magistrate. Every church should take responsibility for the people inside their own churches so that they might send them out and make other churches who take responsibility. All right, welcome. Thank you guys for joining us for another Men of True Worth podcast. Uh, today I have with me a very special guest, uh, a man of true worth right here, <laughs> Pastor Seth Tweedale. And uh, and it's his birthday today. He graced us with his presence Happy on birthday. his birthday. Thank you. I can't believe it. I found that out about 20 minutes ago. So, <laughs> Well, thank you for coming on your birthday, Pastor Seth. Yes, sir. Yeah, this is really cool. So I want to give... Um, I want to give the people a chance to know you a little better. So, um, if it's all right, go ahead and tell us a little bit about very open-ended question. A little bit about who you are, um, uh, where, where are you a pastor of, and what do you do? Awesome. So I'm Seth Tweedale. I'm a pastor of uh, multiple different places and church plants, but. Um, Starting early on, I always wanted to be a pastor. Um, even when I was a kid, my grandfather was a pastor and a church planter, and my dad is a pastor. I come from a long line of people in ministry, and so I was saved at a young age. Um, and uh, in my salvation story, um, the the first years were really really rough. You know, I I I was really emotional all the time. I cried all the time, and um, I was always on the bottle. And then. Um, you know, and then I turned two, and uh, things got a little better, you know. But, uh, yeah, so I was saved, went to seminary. I never even, I never finished seminary because uh, it was a little bit of a bummer when I went there. Everything started to fall apart. So I came back here and, um, and started uh, doing ministry. And um, what gets me going is evangelism and outreach and... Um, open-air evangelism and personal evangelism. And so my local fishing holes, I grew up skateboarding and surfing here on the east coast of Florida all the time. So the easiest fishing hole for me was a skate park. So I'd go around and evangelize to all the skaters because, you know, when you're tired, you you talk and hang out. And um, then after that, I started some Bible studies and ended up being skate churches. And so the young kids would start getting saved and they'd bring their families and we'd do family Bible studies. And then I grew into churches and then we ended up um planting you know churches out of that but uh where i am now is i'm at grace community church in ormond beach and i live in melbourne still but i drive an hour and a half up here um twice a week been doing that for close to seven years now um as well as uh planting churches and um doing evangelism all evangelism ends in the local church and so trying to establish healthy churches and uh, revitalize churches that are starting to die and starting to close their doors. Um, and so we just helped plant a church out of Grace Community Church in Orem Beach called Shoreline Bible Church. And uh, last month we planted another church called Ark Church in Palm Bay. And uh, I just got back from a trip in Zimbabwe doing church planting and uh, teaching on biblical manhood and uh, trying to get the the men and the pastors there involved in in 
taking care of their families and their flocks and continuing to spread the gospel. Uh, so in, involved in, in many different uh, areas of life and trying to keep my name out of the spotlight, just uh, being a, a, a stepping stool for other young men that we're discipling to send out and continue on with the Great Commission. Wow. All right. Um, well, you mentioned biblical manhood. That's interesting. What is yeah, that? God established manhood and womanhood at the beginning, and he's given us each proper roles to do. And so the, the proper role for a biblical man is to take responsibility of himself and take responsibility of the spheres that he is a steward over. And so biblical manhood, for a, a man to be a man, he has to take on responsibility. Um, and leadership is influence, so using your leadership and influence. Uh, and so we cover the four Ps of biblical manhood in, in those teachings, being he has a role of, of a provider. Men are to provide. In Timothy, it says if a man does not provide for his family, um, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And so the first P is to provide. He's also to be the protector. Um, and so if somebody broke into my house, I'm not just going to say, hey, go get him, honey. You know, no, it's my job to protect my family and to protect my wife. And that's not just physical provision and physical protection. It's also spiritual provision and spiritual protection. The Bible holds men accountable and men responsible for the um, stewardship of providing for their households and also protecting their households. And the last two Ps can really just be one, which is pastor. You're to be pastor dad of your family. And that falls into two different other subcategories of being a priest and a prophet. Um, and so a priest stands before, a priest stands between God and man and, uh, uh, and takes responsibility for, um, for men be, be, before God, and a, and a prophet speaks the words of God to man. You said the four Ps, right? Four Ps of so biblical we, manhood. So we got provide, protect, pastor and priest well prophet priest and, and priest and which is really the pastor today so it could be three p's yeah okay uh, interesting yeah and now, you think of all the problems in the world are because men did not step up and do their duty before god adam did not uh, protect his yeah, wife yeah. he did not provide for his wife he didn't pastor his wife in fact in in genesis 3 uh it says uh and Eve gave some of the fruit to her husband who was right there with him. So when you think of, <laughs> of Adam, uh, he was right there when his wife was deceived. And he didn't, uh, he didn't speak up. He didn't stand up. He didn't pastor his wife, in fact. So his abdication of his biblical manhood <laughs> led to the destruction and fall of all of the earth. And I see the problems in Israel and stuff today, you know. And I think of Abraham... And he had a promise uh, from God that he was going to have a son, right? And uh, it said Abraham listened to his wife, Sarah, when she said, hey, just sleep with this lady and get, get, the, get the promise, you know. Abraham didn't pastor his wife. He didn't provide for his wife, didn't protect his wife. In fact, he let his wife lead spiritually. So whenever men don't do their duty and stewardship, women and children are destroyed, you know. So were you saying that... Um I can't if if I'm having problems in my life or my family or or anywhere I can't say well it's because she's not doing her job in Yeah, marriage. right? And that's that's the gospel. You know? Because where 
where our manhood fails, it just magnifies that Christ's manhood didn't. And when we fail as a husband, when we fail as a father, God doesn't. And so, um, yeah, so it's our, it's our responsibility, um, not necessarily our fault. Our sins were our fault, but Christ Jesus came down as the perfect groom and made our sins his responsibility. And so as a husband, as a father, it might not be your fault, but it's your responsibility. You know, all of the things that go on in your family and your government and your church and whatever else you're steward of. Uh, I think that's a, that's a pretty heavy thing to, to swallow. So yeah. like taking, taking responsibility, um, even if it's not our fault necessarily, just because it's not our fault doesn't mean it's not our responsibility. Exactly. This is an interesting topic. Yeah. I'm involved in something called public theology, and um, it's really just that idea spread upon all four realms that God has given us stewardship as, as men. And um, I'm not a theonomist, but I love me some Abraham Kuyper, you know? And Abraham Kuyper placed uh, um, in his, you know, public theology, he placed all of our governments, all of our stewardships into four spheres. And um, it's called sphere sovereignty, where we have personal responsibility. Um, the first government is the government of self, you know? And then we also have um, a family government, and so we have a responsibility within our families, and that's another sphere. And then we also have church government. We have a responsibility within our churches. And then we also have civil government, which is the fourth sphere, where we have a responsibility within our civil duties of you know, communities or cities or states or uh, nations. When you say public theology, what um, what do you mean by that? Is so is that encompass what you're talking about when you're saying public theology? Those yeah. four spheres, or right? So that's a part of it. It really just has to do with um, how we apply uh, biblical theology to public life, and it could be any type of sociology or society or civil spheres and arenas. Um, and so it's the church militant, the church outside the doors of a building of the church, where we go out and be the church. Um, and so okay. public theology is just going out and being the church in public, yeah. What is it about public theology that really gets you excited? Like, what what is the principle of it that, you know, that that really makes it an exciting topic for you or exciting, like, like a venture? Uh, I don't even want to call it a venture. Yeah. It's just like a philosophy almost as well. Right. Um, it's, it's our duty. Uh, and so it's, it's something, duty is normally something that you don't really want to do. <laughs> I'd rather sit inside my house and play video games with my kids or something, you know. But um, when I look at the gospel, it's, it's the um, proper outworking of the gospel that has taken root in the heart of a Christian that we do our duty. And it's, it's, it's in that duty that we find our greatest joy and our greatest fulfillment and our greatest purpose. And so what, um, what gets me excited is really after, you know, beforehand, I, I don't really want to wake up in the morning and roll out of bed and go to work, but it's my duty. But then when I start working, I'm like, dude, this is what I'm made for. Like, I'm stoked. Um, so that's, I guess that's kind of how, how, I, how I work it out. And Ephesians 2, 8, 9 talks about our salvation. And then Ephesians 2, 10 says uh, um, really what happens after salvation, the works that we are to do that have been predestined beforehand that we should walk in. 
You know, that's what we've been saved to do. We've been saved to serve. Also, the failure of the church to do our duty in the public realm has led to the greatest destructions and disasters. Um, everything that's wrong, really, in the world can be staked at the doors of the church and says, what are you doing? Why didn't you do something about it? You feel like the church has has missed the mark on being active in this in the public theology or in the public realm or is it or are you talking about government specifically um how, how are you going about yeah. this yeah all of those things and um before getting to you know deeper discussions one helpful thing to do is to define proper terms you know so talking about the church yeah, or talking about government absolutely. like what are we what are we talking about exactly um but to start with the personal level um, I am, we are all going to die. Everyone's going to die oh. and I'm going to stand before the Lord. And I want him to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And so I, if the rapture comes tomorrow, I want to, I want to be caught up and I want him to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant. I want to, I want to be caught with my gloves on and I'm going to be, when we die, you know, like 10,000 years from now. I'll be sitting across from, just like I'm sitting across from you, from the Apostle Peter or Moses or David, and they're going to be all with all these hundreds of thousands and millions of people, and it's their turn to tell their story, and David's going to be like, oh, I chopped off this guy's head and I saved Israel because he spoke against the Lord my God. And Moses said, oh, yeah, I raised my staff and told this story, and then they're going to look to Seth and they're going to say, hey, Seth, what did you do with the time that God gave you and the resources and the stewardship that were yours that were placed in your hands? And so that, uh, that kind of gets me going, that I want to make a difference and I want to be obedient to the Lord and be a good steward of what he's given me. That's where your motivation comes from. Right, yeah, so that's personal topic. motivation in this topic, right? But what is it, in your opinion, that keeps the church from being more activated yeah. in this area right. or in these realms? Yeah, and there's, there's, there's quite a few things. Um, and... Uh, they all kind of come together in this big spider web that just keeps the church uh, closed in among themselves. Um, the first thing is fear, um, and there's many things that the church is afraid of. And the Bible says, the fear of man is a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord is safe. And so I think the church is really caught in a trap of fear that, mm. that makes them um, like a Nerf bullet, like a Nerf gun. What are they afraid um, of? many things. Um, and, and the first thing is, is really the fear of man. And so, um, what we can do is we can be afraid of what people think about us. Right. And, um, I think they have some of their mission. The church has some of their, uh, and when, when, I, when we're talking about the church, the church is the bride of Christ Jesus. So any problems that I have with the church must be a lover's quarrel. Um, Whenever I, whenever I hear many people talk about the problems of the church, it's like uh, it hurts because that's Christ's bride. Mm -hmm. And if you come up to me and start saying all the problems you have with my wife, yeah. uh, be careful how you speak, right? And so I want to be very that's careful really how we speak about that because, um, one, it's the church. It's, one, it's the bride of Christ. And two, I'm a part of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah. I know the problems of the church because they're my problems. <laughs> I, I'm not judging the church sitting over the church. I actually am a part of the problem, you know, because I, I contribute to them. And so 
I want to I want to remind uh, not just your listeners but myself when I start speaking about the church is I love the church and I want the church I want Christ's bride to be honoring of Christ's bride. No, thank so. you for bringing that uh, that disclaimer and that clarification yeah. as well because um, we do get caught up in that in that like conversation right. when we're when we're saying like you know well the church this the church that yeah. oh like. I got church hurt because they're doing this or they're not doing this the way I want them to. And it's like, yeah, we're kind of all in this <laughs> yeah. together. It's, But that's a really interesting um, interesting perspective that right. you're bringing. So if I'm pointing a finger, it's got to start here. <laughs> and in uh, a personal story, how I got involved, I used to just be the preach, just preach the gospel guy. You know, just go evangelize, preach the gospel to people, and don't get involved with politics because politics is dirty, and I don't want our ch- church to be tainted. I want us to build bridges with the broader society, or I don't want people to think differently of my church, and I don't want to uh, um, get off track by trying to make the world a better place to go to hell from, which mm-hmm. is a lot what a lot of you know politically minded people do or whatnot. But what really got me involved in the fight is to open my eyes to see what was outside the drawers. Um, and uh, and uh, this guy, Frank Campana, he came to our church in his cowboy boots, and Frank Campana is highly involved in abolitionist ministry, which is um, the fight to end abortion. Um, and maybe I should change names so that you don't get your <laughs> algorithms all messed up, but uh, when we're getting involved in uh, public theology... Uh, it's hard to uh, to mince words, you know, and nobody really wants to hear about it. But uh, Frank Campana took me out to the abortion mills um, where they're murdering babies uh, by the thousands. And uh, he, he stood me outside and he said, 30 babies are going to get murdered today. <laughs> and so I stand out there and he said, our duty is twofold. We are to preach the gospel because what good is it that um, if we save every baby today, and they all end up in hell. Our, our duty is to preach the gospel, um, and we also want to save lives. And so the, the duty is twofold. We want to save lives and save souls. And um, when I went outside and, and started getting involved in that type of ministry, um, it really opened your eyes to, to the problems that are in this world and the duty of the church. It was Francis Schaeffer that said, outside of every abortion clinic should read a... Uh, sign open by the permission of the local church. I looked down the road and there were four churches all surrounding this abortion clinic and not one of the members, not one of the people came out to, uh, you know, try to help any of the women or try to stop people from uh, having that go on. And uh, then in my own church, I have women that have had abortions. Um, And the, the message is simple. Abortion is murder, but murder was on the cross of Christ Jesus. And so we have the message of hope, and most women that have had abortions are repeat offenders. Um, and uh, so we have a message of hope that they can see their baby again, and they can also have their sins forgiven, not just their sins, all their shame and guilt can be gone completely. And um, the, you know who stops the most to rebuke us, who actually pulls over and pulls their cars into the parking lot to just to rebuke us? Who Church members and pastors who say we're not being very winsome or say that, uh, you know, we're, we're turning people away from Christ or we're not being loving or this isn't what Christ would want us to do. Uh, and really? so, yeah, 
yeah, it's an amazing thing that happens. But uh, the women who I who I bring to the abortion clinics, they said if there was one person that was outside the abortion clinic that gave me another option, I wouldn't have done what I did. I wouldn't have gone through with it. And they were praying on their way to the abortion clinic, praying that someone would give them an option, praying that someone would give them help or out, but nobody was there. And so they went in and they murdered their babies. The idea of abortion really got me, my eyes opened uh, to see our complacency in it. There's two, um, there's two types of sins in James 4.17. You know, there's the sin of commission and there's the sin of omission. And we are not uh, getting involved because uh, we as the church many times are part of the problem. One in four women have had an abortion. And so there's people that have been a part of this by committing. But there's, there's also the sin of omission. Uh, less than 10% of churches have a ministry uh, to the unborn. And so there's the law of tacit admission. In, in Black's Law Dictionary that says that uh, if you see a crime, if you see and know something, uh, if you know details of something that's happened and you're silent on it and don't uh, report it, you too are guilty of it. It's uh, So silence in the face of evil is itself evil in the word of, words of Bonhoeffer. Not to speak is to speak, and God will not hold us guiltless. Um, so... Uh, that's a so, staggering number. You did you say one in four women yeah. have had an abortion? Yeah, that's a that's a, almost an unbelievable number. That is staggering. Yeah, you you come from this from a place of from what you you were just saying. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not actively kind of coming against this, then you're you're condoning it. Is that yes. how you feel? Right. Well, that's not how I feel. That's what the Bible says. Okay. In, um, in Proverbs 24, well, Leviticus 20 talks about how the Jews were um, murdering their... And what, it, what we're really talking about is child sacrifice. And child sacrifice is as old as mankind is. You know, um, children have always been being sacrificed in order for... Um, it's the opposite of... It's the opposite of love. Love lays down its life for a friend, for his friends. But child sacrifice says, "You must die so that I can live." Um, the Aztecs did it. The Canaanites did it. Um, the Jews found the practices of Babylon and they did it. And in Leviticus twenty, he says, "Don't sacrifice your children to Moloch or to Ashtaroth." And then in Leviticus twenty, it also says, "If one of your neighbor sacrifices his children and you don't say anything or do anything about it, you too are guilty of being put to death." And in Numbers 30 is the Silence is Violence chapter, where Numbers 30 is also where we get um, in our marriage ceremonies, um, if anyone uh, speak now or forever hold your peace, if, if anyone has something where these two should not be married, your silence gives consent. Um, and Numbers 30 um, is the whole chapter about silence being consent. Um, and in Proverbs chapter 24, it says, uh, hold back those staggering t- towards the slaughter. Rescue those um, who are um, rescue the innocent that are that are being brought to death. And then in Proverbs twenty four, it also says, "If you say we knew nothing about this, does not he who guards your life know it? And will he not repay each one according to what he has done?" And so it's the sin of omission, where 
we can't close our, if you close your eyes and close your ears to the sin of abortion or the sin of child sacrifice, God will hold you accountable for what goes on for not standing up and for not speaking up. Um, Proverbs 31 also speaks about that, um, our duty to stand in the gap. In Ezekiel 22, um, uh, I think it's verse 30 or so, it talks about God going to judge a nation who is, um, and it, and it really starts with this doctrine of blood guilt. Um, anytime human blood is shed, the land is, um, the land is perverted. The land is, uh, tainted and the blood cries out to God for justice and for vengeance. Psalms 106 talks about nations who have blood guilt on them that cry out to God for, for vengeance. National sins cry out to God. Uh, national calamities cry out for national justice, national judgment, national calamities. And so whenever a nation sins in sacrificing their children, God judges that nation. And I mentioned uh, uh, Psalm 106, but... Um, but so those, those, that blood is crying out to God for vengeance and for justice, and God must judge nations who do this. And so Ezekiel 22 um, is what I was talking about in verse 30. It says, God says, He looked among them for a man who would build up the wall and to stand in the gap, and he found, so that he would not judge the nation, and he found no one. And so it's the church's duty to stand in the gap between the innocent that are going to be destroyed and going to be murdered and those who would be doing the murdering and the destruction. So by not doing anything or not saying anything, we're complicit in the, in the act. Yeah. Um, now, I suppose the question that, that arises in this, in this sphere is, what's the level of, like, what's the threshold or what's the, what's the baseline? Sure. Oh, like, so it's going to sure. be weird to say it. What's the yeah. minimum that I can do that I am not complicit in the act kind of, or yeah. is there like, cause so should everybody, every, if you're Christian and if you believe in Christ, you should right. be out there at every abortion clinic or at the like protesting or trying to stop them. Or is it more of like, you know, you should be doing something or say yeah. something post on social media. Like what's the, what's yeah. Different ways it's to get involved. Weird, yeah. Yeah. So before I, I get, jump into the ways to get involved, uh, I think building a case of I should get involved right. also helps. And I want to know, like, um, you know, is, biblically. Yeah. Like, what's the, yeah. Like, what is the minimum responsibility of somebody? Yes. And I say minimum because I want to, like, I want to bring yeah. that argument kind of like that. Yeah. 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 So. In the four realms of government, right, we have civil government. We also have church government. And so the first responsibility falls on pastors. In Hosea 4 and uh, Isaiah 24, it says, like people, like priest. And so people will become like what their pastors are. Jesus says the student will become like his teacher. And so if pastors are not involved in these things, will the people be involved? No. If pastors are not teaching and preaching on these things, will the, will the people think that it's important? No. And so what pastors are doing is they're self-censoring. Uh, and they're self-censoring for multiple reasons. And it all has to do with our understanding of the civil government and the church's re relationship with the civil government, with those two spheres. And, you know, whenever a sphere, whenever a government steps outside of its sphere, um, chaos always ensues. God has established those four realms of government to stay inside of their 
particular spheres. And if I were to step out of one sphere into another sphere's responsibilities and duties, it never works right. And so the government has um, either Jesus is Lord or the state is Lord. Either uh, God is God or the state becomes God. And the state, uh, Thomas Hobbes uh, and so many others have called the government Leviathan. The state will always take as much power as we will allow it to do. And then the churches will only speak as much truth as the state allows them to. And that's what's happening today is the Leviathan has reached outside of its sphere and the church is allowing it and families are allowing it and people personally are allowing it. We saw all the overreach in uh, the time of, uh, you know, the lockdowns and things. But um, so the church's duty, the pastor's job is to be at the city gate in... uh, Proverbs 31 again, where is her husband? He's at the city gate. Um, Men, elders are always to be at the city gate saying, what comes into my city? What goes out of my city? It is our responsibility and duty um, in the civil arena. But um, what's cool is Romans 13 talks about the civil government sphere. The sphere is of the civil government. And the church has gotten Romans 13 so wrong. Um, we, we, we think that the government has unlimited authority. But Romans 13 doesn't give the government unlimited authority. Romans 13 specifically limits the government's authority into two arenas, uh, punishing evildoers in, in Romans 13 verse three, I think, and then also rewarding those who do good. And so what do you do when the government punishes those who do good and rewards those who do evil? Or what do you do when the government tells, tells you not to obey something that God has commanded or when the government forbids some, you to do something that God has commanded? Um, and when you're talking about Romans 13, you're talking about the verse when they're saying, like, submit to the authorities uh, because God placed them yes. in authority. Is that, right. is that the right verse? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. What happens when they're, they're not acting justly mm-hmm. or, they're not, or they're punishing people that are doing good, yeah. things like that? Now, when they forbid what God commands or command what God forbids. What's, what's the answer for that? What? Yeah, so when you think of the realms of, of government, the spheres of government, uh, Jesus talks, or God talks about that in the Bible, and Ephesians 6 talks about family government, how children are to obey their parents in the Lord. Is there any, um, is there any uh, negations or things that they are not to obey their parents on? No, there's no limitation in that. It just says, obey your parents. And then in Romans, or Hebrews 13, it says that we're to obey those who are over us in the church. Are there any limitations given? No. But in Romans 13, talking about the government, there are limitations given too. But we, we, would, we wouldn't, um, if, my, if my dad tells me to go and um, you know, rob a store down the street because I'm five years old and I won't get anything wrong with me and he'll go to jail if he does, should I obey my dad? No. Um, if the church government or the church authority or the elder tells me to, you know, do something wrong, I wouldn't do it. I'd obey God, God rather than men. And so the church uses eisegesis many times on Romans 13 to give unlimited authority. Mm-hmm. They're assuming unlimited authority, and the text doesn't give it there. Mm-hmm. In fact, in the text of Scripture, you see many times when God has commended people who disobey government. The Hebrew midwives, when Pharaoh says to murder all the Jewish babies, do they obey him? No. In fact, the, the Hebrew midwives disobeyed Pharaoh's orders, were commended by God, and it says that God blessed them because of that. 
he gave them families of their own. Uh, Daniel, when he was forbidden to pray, he, he said, well, fine, I'll pray even harder now. Mm-hmm. He prayed three times a day, and he opened all of his windows on his knees so that everyone could see and knew that he was disobeying the orders of, um, of the king there. Also, you know, uh, Hananiah, uh, Mishael, Azariah, they would not bow. Um, when you think of Peter in Acts uh, 4, in, in, anyway, Peter, um, he was told not to continue preaching in the name of Christ, and he said... Uh, you know, you judge, you be the judge, whether it's good to obey man or God. But as for us, we will not stop preaching about what we've seen or heard. So he publicly defied the orders and continued to preach the gospel. Um, and so there are many places in, in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul said, you know, Paul was supposed to be arrested. And Paul said he craftily fled down a basket in a wall to get away from the government. Paul, who penned Romans 13, disobeys the orders of the government. Um, I think that's really cool that you brought the... Um the, there's a precedent in the Bible, a bi- biblical precedent for mm-hmm. for times when they disobeyed government or disobeyed a government authority. So right. I think that's a really good point that you brought there, because we've got the the um, the four the four mm-hmm. levels that you're talking about. Right. You know, the personal responsibility, the the family government, civil government, church government. Mm-hmm. I suppose when when those things come together, those those four, when what we're talking about here, when you're talking about going out and and um, giving giving women that are going to have an abortion, giving them other options, or 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 talking to them, mm-hmm. when you're talking about that, that would fit under the church government slash civil government, or. Is that uh, which sphere are we talking yeah, about? Yeah, so that's that's a part of my uh, personal duty um, to my okay. neighbor. So if you think of the Good Samaritan, um, you see the, the the dude in the ditch, right? And then the priest walks by and says, "Oh, I've got a lot of church duties to attend to." And so the priest is the one who walks on the other side of the road mm. and he turns his head away from the dude in the ditch. You know, that's what the church is doing today. So I'd say that that falls on the personal responsibility and the church's duty, but as far as the civil duty, in Romans 13, another thing the church has assumed and gotten wrong is if we are to give to Caesar what is Caesar and submit to the authorities over us, who is Caesar in America? We don't live in first century Rome, right? right? So who is the authority? Who is Caesar? What type of government do we have here in America? That's, a, that's an interesting topic. But I suppose in that context, give unto Caesar what Caesar's give unto God what is God's. In that context, the Caesar would be the IRS, the taxes. But well, yeah, sure when Jesus is speaking, uh, yeah, it. give taxes where, where taxes is due. But when um, um, honor who honor is due is also in Romans 13. But uh, when I think of who is Caesar, who is the ruler, who are the, who's the pre- people that we must submit to is the question. Yeah. And in America, we are Caesar. You and I are Caesar. We are not a first century dictatorship. We are not ruled over a king. We are a constitutional representative republic where you and I are responsible for our um, governments. Our city government, our state government, and our national government is our duty and our responsibility. The Founding Fathers, one of the most repeated words in the Founding Fathers was duty. Um, Government is our duty. And so when we talk about our responsibility, I believe the church is abdicating their duty. And if uh, every king has a counselor, and 
who is the counselor to be in America? Well, the church is to be the counselor. I think it was Kuiper that says the church is to be the conscience of the nation. And when your conscience is silent, when your conscience is seared, when your conscience isn't speaking up, where does the nation go? So ungodly, um, unbelieving men and women are making ungodly and unrighteous laws that are affecting our lives and our children's lives and our state's lives. And the church is saying, oh, separation of church and state. I can't speak on those matters or those issues. Hmm. Where do we get that idea? The separation of church and state isn't in any of our founding documents. In fact, where that's found is a letter from Thomas Jefferson to the Downbury Baptist Association that's really talking about the Baptists were worried that they were going to have a Presbyterian government because it was the uh, Black Robe Regiment and other Presbyterians that were doing a great job in the public theology. And so Jefferson was saying, no, we're not going to have a specific denomination of America like the Church of England or the Lutheran Church in Germany. Um, or the, the Calvinist church in the Netherlands. We're not going to have a specific denomination. It's going to be a, a freedom of religion. And so the letter separation of church and state isn't in any of our documents. In fact, what we have is uh, Congress shall make no law with the establishment of religion. So it's Congress that's not going to make a law in establishing religion. So separation of church and state is a myth, but that myth is something the church has assumed and it's kept them silent. So we self-censor. There's nothing in politics that keeps a pastor from speaking on political issues or even um, speaking and saying who to vote for. We self-censor because we assume it. Um, the only other thing is the Johnson Amendment, which no one has been prosecuted for. It's an unconstitutional amendment, and Alliance Defending Freedom is doing their best to get it uh, uh, thrown out completely. But what um, what's keeping it is we need someone to be prosecuted for it in order to bring it to a court case so that we can do away with it once and for all. But uh, it just talks about tax code with the 501c3s. But So you believe that the separation of church and state is is not a good thing? Or it's a like myth. That it's a I myth. don't think it exists. Right. Um, so and but, you, uh, what you mean is like like as a policy, it's a myth or like a, like a founding principle. All of it is a myth. Interesting. Right. So when you say that, do you mean like you, you can't separate it, or it's it just doesn't exist, or they? Uh, what do you mean by it's a myth? It's not in any of our documents. Okay. It's it's not anything the the church needs to run on, or the state runs on. In fact, the state is doing the opposite. It is not legal for me to indoctrinate public school children um, in creation theology. Right. In fact, you teach creationism, you teach a six-day uh, literal creation, you teach a biblical flood, and you'll get fired, you know? Mm -hmm. And so everything is theological. Everyone has a public theology. Unbelievers and believers alike, we are made to be worshipers, we are made to be theological. In fact, what they do is the state is pumping a theology of secular humanism, and we see the effects of that. The effects of that are, if you oh, homeschool your kids, Homeschool your kids. You spend from kindergarten to 12th grade 14,000 instructional hours that are anti-God and anti-Bible from the word go. And then you think that in Sunday school, five minutes of coloring a story of Moses is going to help. No, that's why 80% of our children leave after they move out of their parents' houses. The public school system is radically theological and against the Bible. And it, and it doesn't help 
you, you teach kids that you're a product of evolution. You are a, a random chance and um, nothing matters. And um, you, you teach Darwin and evolution, the survival of the fittest, right? The strongest survive. And then you say, Johnny, don't hit Susie. <laughs> well, why? <laughs> she has what I want. I'm bigger than her. I'm stronger than her. You know, survival of the fittest. It doesn't work. They borrow from the Christian worldview in order to establish their own morals. But that's another soapbox for another time. <laughs> no, this is, uh, this is good stuff. It's, it's interesting because uh, I feel like these topics come up a lot um, when it yeah. comes to, to talking about the church's role in government, the church's role in society, and things like that. And it's, it's interesting to talk to you about this because you believe that you believe that if, if it were like the separation of church and state, that, that would be that's a bad thing. Or yeah, I'm, like, I'm not talking about creating a theocracy. I'm saying that the church, um, the state has no jurisdiction over the church. Right. And so this in the, our, our First Amendment, the, the church, um, the state can't tell us how what we do in our church and how we worship. Um, they can't establish a religion. And you and, feel like the, the government has taken over this, has... You feel like the church has allowed the government to come in and kind of control what the church do and what we yeah. do as a corporate structure. Yeah. What we do, like um, even, you know, saying what we can say or, or if we yeah. can support a candidate, yeah. you know, maybe we'll get our tax benefits so taken away every, or something like everyone that. Everyone else, you get celebrities to tell you who to vote for, who endorse people. You get every other 501c3 endorses different candidates and things. The only people who can't speak on politics or can't, the only people that can't speak on ethics or morality or laws are pastors. Hmm. The only people that should be telling you what the Bible says about a certain issue and should be telling you what the best ways to vote and the best things to do politically are to glorify and honor God are the only people that have the gag order. Um, it's unconstitutional, the gag order, and yeah. the gag order doesn't even exist. But we're self-censoring because everyone else in your has been has bought the lie, and we've also bought the lie of the sacred secular dichotomy. You know, sacred secular dichotomy is is uh, reading your Bible sacred or secular? What's sacred? Yeah. Is doing the dishes sacred or secular? Well, it might be secular. Is uh, politics sacred or secular? Uh, no. Matthew yeah, twenty-eight. Like Keep going. Um, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Jesus is Lord of everything. Every single thing that you do is sacred. Nothing is secular. Doing the dishes is an act of worship. <laughs> Politics should be an act of worship. First Corinthians ten thirty-one. The interpretive principle of the Christian life: Do all things to the glory of God. Um, and so we bought the sacred secular dichotomy where the church doesn't shouldn't touch that or pastors don't speak on those things and it keeps us silent. I think this is um, this is probably one of your I think the strongest point what you're talking about right now. This is so so difficult I think to to really really comprehend that idea that everything I do everything we do is ministry it's yeah. a it's a part of it's a part of our walk with christ mm -hmm. i suppose the one of the questions i would bring is is when we're talking about our our responsibility mm -hmm. to get involved 
mm-hmm. and our responsibility as Christian men to go out there and do these things. Um, what would there become a point where it's like we're getting too involved in these things in these other <laughs> spaces rather than discipling our family? Mm-hmm. Or we're spending too much time being activist rather than you know just making sure our home is in order. Is there like a hierarchy of the the or a priority that we need to like like kind of like do we need to get our home in order first before we start going out and and doing these things? Does that make it's, sense? It's totally. And and when you think of the sphere governments that we're talking about, they're like ripples. Um, <clears throat> You cannot have proper family government if you don't have proper personal government. If you don't have yourself in line, if you don't have mm. yourself in tow, how, can, how are you going to lead them spiritually if you're not right spiritually? And then if the church isn't, or if, if a man isn't right spiritually, how can he lead in the church? In fact, you are forbidden to be an elder or a pastor if your house is out of order, according to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus as well. Um, a pastor must have his family in order or else he is disqualified, who are who, a family, children who are believers or else he's disqualified for being a pastor. And so the ripples do go out from personal um, and so on. But you also connected that with the idea of idolatry. Anything you love more than God, anything you serve more than God, or anything you fear more than God becomes an idol. And it usurps your worship. It usurps the role of God in your life. And so politics can become an idol. Anything can become an idol if it's out of, uh, if it's out of place. And that's why before Jesus tells us to go and make disciples of all nations, which I would say also is our cultural mandate, before he says that, he says, I am the Lord. Before God gives us any imperative, what we are to do, he first points to the indicatives, what Christ has done and who we are. The greatest imperatives that we've been given are the Ten Commandments you know, and other, other commandments. Anytime you see the imperatives of Scripture, what we are to do, he first points to what he has done and who he is. And so before he gives us the Ten Commandments, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And so if we go and try to, we all have that works righteousness and muscle we want to flex. And we cannot go to please God by something physically we do or works that we do. No, we must go to the gospel. You and I are sinners. We come to Jesus Christ, who is the ultimate Savior, who died on the cross for our sins. We repent of our sins, trust in him. And uh, as we're connected to the vine properly, we can bear fruit. We are fools to think we can disconnect from the vine of Christ and try to bear fruit our own. It won't work. And in fact, Mm. that fruit will work against Christ. Either you're for me or you're against me. And so I love that point that you did did point out is that, no, um, we don't want to fall in that ditch. And as pastors, like the ditch we can fall in is I want to know more than everyone. And so our idol many times can be Bible study (laughs) and theology can be the idol of a pastor. We want to know about God. We want to know about Christ, but we don't want to know Christ. We want to know about it just so that we can be seen as smarter and know all about who Jesus is and what he's done. But we don't want to know Jesus and spend time with him, you know. So anything can be an idol. Um, But that doesn't keep us from moving in and walking in those things that God's called us to. And it doesn't take us from our duty. Um, I am a a Calvinist. I am a premillennialist dispensationalist as well. And so most people who fall into public theology the way that I think are post-millennialists. And so they'll say, the biggest problem in the church is we need to be raptured, is people think they're going to be raptured from their responsibility. 
So I'm not doing this out of an eschatological viewpoint that I need to build up the kingdom and, and uh, take over the seven mountains of dominion that Jesus might come back. No, I'm doing this out of duty um, and responsibility. Uh, they use the idea, oh, why do we need to polish brass on a sinking ship? Well, no, I have a car, and I love my car, and I know like in 50 years it's going to be in a junkyard, but it's my duty to take care of that car, and it's best for me to take care of that car, and it's best for my children that that car is being taken care of. And so I want to do everything I can to do the duty that God has called me to in the political and the public sphere because it does best for um, those who God's given me to steward as well. Um, And also, you know, this is probably the biggest thing is... The biggest sin in America is abortion. Children are being murdered by the millions, and the church is doing nothing about it. And uh, if we expect God to bless up, bless us, if we expect God to bless our children, we're leaving an inheritance to our children. And that inheritance is a nation that's crumbling. If we expect God's blessing and not God's curse, because we deserve God's curse, we must repent, and the first thing to do in our national repentance is end the Holocaust of abortion. In Judges 6, Israel is murdering a bunch of babies, right? And, uh, and uh, they're, they're sacrificing, and Gideon's hiding, you know? And God comes to Gideon, and, and he's like, mighty man of valor. And Gideon's like, where were you, God? And uh, God, uh, God says, tear down the uh, altars to Molech. Moloch was a, a god who they would uh, burn this, um, burn his hands and his and light a fire underneath him, and his hands would turn, you know, um, uh, super hot. And they'd place the babies on that, and then they'd start burning up and try to roll off, and they'd roll into the fire. And and um, he said, "Tear down the altars to Moloch," and uh, so he did it. He tore down the altars to Moloch before God told him to do anything else. Before God. Uh, t- uh, told him about any blessing or anything else, he first gave them the mandate to tear down those altars. So he did it, and everybody complained about it. They all wanted to kill Gideon because he did that. Um, before God can bless our nation, that's what we need to do. And, you know, this Christmas season is coming up, and nothing is more touches the gospel of Jesus coming in the incarnation more than this issue. When you think of Christ, um, what were the... Uh, what were the uh, surrounding uh, time that Christ was in? Uh, Mary was a teenage girl, and she's pregnant <laughs> out of wedlock. She's a pregnant teenager, and then Joseph's um, uh, betrothed to her. He's like, hey, you're, are you pregnant or something? And then he's like, probably thinking, whose baby is this? You know. So we've got an out of wedlock pregnant teenager, and you have a guy, and what does Joseph want to do? The Bible says he wanted to put her away silently, mm-hmm. you know, and an angel comes and visits Joseph. But if you think of most people who, who um, are doing the dirty, you know, and, uh, and they find out they're pregnant, what's going through their minds? Oh, no, I need to get rid of this. Like, how do I? This is too much. I can't handle this. I can't be a mom. I, this is too much for me. And nobody's got my back. I've got no friends like this is going to ruin my school. They just start thinking about all these things. And the the first thing they think of doing is, I'm just going to put it away silently. That's what abortion is. It's putting it away silently. That's exactly what Joseph wanted to do. But God called Joseph to uh, be a man. And it might might not have been his seed, but it's his responsibility. And he took mm-hmm. responsibility. And through that, we have Jesus who's in the womb, 
you know, he came through the womb of a mother, um, the same way that all of our babies are made. Um, and, uh, and in that womb, he is the hypostatic savior, fully God and fully man in the womb of the mother. And the, one of the people that recognized Jesus was a baby in the womb. John the Baptist leaped in his mother's womb when he came close to Christ, you know? And so the Christmas story of Jesus coming through an un, unwed teenage mother to be the savior of the earth, uh, really is, is awesome. Gives us hope. I, 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 I really enjoy hearing your heart on that. And you said the, you know, the biggest sin of America is abortion. These people that are going to get an abortion, mm-hmm. you know, they're in a, a, you know, better than I do. They're in a, they're in a tough place. They're in a dark place. They don't know what to do. They're scared or they're, they're, figuring that this is the best option for them, right? And so these people, when they come there and they're, they're getting ready to do this, what kind of options are being given to them or what kind of resources are being offered to them, say, from the various organizations or things like that? And what can the church do more right. in this realm? Yeah. So to get involved, there, there's many ways to get involved. We have uh, so many resources, especially here in Florida. And uh, so there's a, a couple different things going on. Um, if your church wants to get involved in this area, um, I would say sign up for End Abortion Now. You can uh, sign up there and you can get resources in order to help if you want to be involved in sidewalk counseling. But right now we have Im- initiatives called the Human Life Protection Amendment. And if you go to humanlifefl.org or .com, you can find the petition where what we're doing is um, is the uh, the abortion argument is uh, ridiculous, um, and it's the same arguments that are used today to kill the the preborn are the same arguments that were used yesterday to enslave uh, people that are different, you know, and uh, so <clears throat> people need to get their get their mind into the facts, understand embryology and understand what's going on. We are killing human beings. But in our in our current laws, no protections are given to human beings unless they're considered persons. So the Human Life Protection Amendment um, gives uh, it recognizes the personhood of all people and the rights of personhood, which are enshrined in our amendments, fourteenth Amendment, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. So did we um, just pass recently a, a law that kind of like the states can make their choice on this, on yeah, this topic? Or, so what's going on with that? Yeah, so what, so what that was is uh, Roe versus Wade used to be the law of the land, mm-hmm. and uh, Roe versus Wade was overturned, and it's been, sure, given back to the states. So right now I believe there's uh, 24. Are there any, yeah, are there any states that do ban abortion, or what, what's going on there? When we're talking about uh, abortion, there are multiple different ways you can get an abortion. Um, uh, surgical abortions uh, are done uh, in different uh, hospitals, different, uh, well, uh, abortion mills is what I call them. They just mill out the death of babies, um, Planned Parenthood and other women's centers. Um, but uh, some of those are closed down in maybe close to 24 states as, as of now. But what uh, the most abortions are done are before uh, 14 weeks. And before 14 weeks, um, that's done mainly by uh, medical abort, a chemical abortion. And that's through uh, three different, well, four, 
uh, four different main pills, RU486, mifeprestone, mifeprex, um, which cuts off progesterone. Progesterone is the hormone that you need to be fed and um, that the mothers give uh, um, help to the babies. And then you, uh, after you take that, after it cuts off progesterone, you take another pill regimen, it's, it's the abortion pill, and that's a mifeprestol that causes you to cramp and deliver an unborn, uh, a, a dead baby. Um, and they normally tell you just to, to don't look and flush, which they do it at their houses. And the dangerous thing, that's, that's now being mailed to people um, after the shutdowns. And what Biden did is he, lift all, he lifted all restrictions on that. And so now women can get that without uh, ever seeing a medical doctor. And so we have many women hemorrhaging, bleeding out, and having to have emergency uh, trips to the hospital because uh, over 50% of women misdiagnose themselves. And so if you're over 14 weeks and you take the pill, it's very dangerous because you can have an uh, incomplete, you know, things like that. You could also, you can't rule out ectopic pregnancies, which is when the egg implants not on the uterine wall, but in the fallopian tube, which is dangerous to both the baby and the mother. So... Um, there's a lot of harm that's being done by the abortion pill. So right now that's legal. Every state gets the abortion pill. Mm. And so what the Human Life Protection Amendment will do is make it illegal to take that in certain states. Now that it's to the state, now it's given to the states, it's kind of a state fight. But what we need to do is make a federal ban on abortion um, <clears throat> and giving personhood rights back to everyone from natural conception to natural death. Um, and uh, that's the abolitionist, amend, uh, abolitionist position now that we need to abolish abortion completely, no half measures, um, and treat the unborn, the preborn, the same as we treat the born, um, just laws and just rules in our society. That's the same uh, thing that was given uh, with Abraham Lincoln, you know, and uh, the same arbitrary laws and rules that were on the books there needed to be changed, just like today. There's no difference <clears throat> between the pre-born and the born that would justify us killing them. Um, science of embryology is clear. From the moment of conception, the unborn is a living, distinct, whole human being uh, deserving of the same rights as the born. <clears throat> yeah. yeah. This, is a, this is a pretty deep topic. I'm glad it that is. you... <clears throat> I'm glad that you went down that route because these are things that are really important. And, and if anyone in this area wants to go with me, sidewalk counseling, we normally go, uh, well, some members of our team are, you know, with Pro-Life Action Ministries and others are at the abortion clinic almost every day of the week and uh, saving many babies. But um, yeah, so endabortionnow.com. I also work with Operation Save America, OSA, if you... Um, have anybody that wants to look that up as well. Live Action does great work. I work with them uh, with some oh, things perfect. as well. And um, there's many different ways to get in touch. If you want to reach out to me on Facebook, I'd love to point you to other resources. Oh, great. Yes. And I'll put the links as well in the, sure. in the description. That's perfect. And again, fascinating conversation. And I'm really glad you brought that today. And, and, Thank you once again for spending your time with me on your birthday. Happy oh, yeah. birthday once again. Um, let, me do, let me do one more call. I believe that every church has to have a ministry to the magistrate. Um, what's going in our city, what's going out of our city. Get to know your officials. Get to know your sheriff, your, your government leaders, your city counselors. Uh, 
And so how we get involved in public theology, we vote um, and we help people be informed on voting. We call our government to uh, account when they do something wrong. Um, we also um, don't just do corrective discipline, we want to do formative discipline. So developing relationships and letting them know what we care for, what the Bible says, how we should lead our cities and how we should lead our government is what pastors should be involved in doing. And, the, and uh, also, we need to get involved in government and maybe running. There are many Christians that need to run for offices, school board, whatever it might be. Um, and we need to be salt and light. The church has not been salt and light in the world. We've taken ourselves out of the public sphere, and everyone is paying the price of the church taking ourselves out. We need to recapture salt and light. There's a, a ministry called Salt and Light. You can start a salt and light ministry in your own church. Um, and so if you look up salt and light, I think it's salt and light ministries. That's another way to do. And if churches don't know how to get involved, don't understand these things, um, getting a biblical citizenship course in your church, it's free to do. Um, it's, uh, it's through wall builders and David Barton. They have a biblical citizenship course that you can take that, uh, really helps you to see how a church can get involved in public theology. And that's one of the first steps to get involved as well. But it's been a pleasure. That's interesting. Well, I did want to give you, um, and I'm glad you put that out there because I did want to also give you another opportunity. As we, uh, I give, I tell this to each guest as far as what is a message that you would give to, um, to young men who are starting their walk with the Lord mm -hmm. and want to grow more, want to get more involved, or want to deepen their relationship with Christ. Uh, what would be your, it can be based on what we talked about here today, or you can go completely off. It's totally up to you. This is a shifting question. To young we'll men. let you go with that. Yes. Yeah. Um, first, take responsibility for yourself. Read your Bible. Take responsibility for your spiritual walk with Christ. Um, obey Christ. Uh, love Christ. Out of that, take responsibility for your family, your, your church. Uh, get involved. Serve. Don't want to be in the limelight. Uh, do your duty whether or not people see it or not. And that comes with integrity. Integrity is when what you think, what you say, and what you do all match. And uh, be man of integrity. Uh, quit pornography. Find a godly man who loves his wife, who works hard, and model him. Ask if you can be discipled by him. Find godly dudes, older men, who are doing life right and try to be mentored by them. Don't hang out with a bunch of little twerps your own age. Stop playing video games in your basement and make something of your life. Um, love your, find a godly woman um, and talk to other godly men about what godly woman you should look. Don't get blinded by beauty because beauty fades, but um, develop a legacy. And uh, as well as that, you know, take responsibility. Um, find your giftedness and um, hone that in and don't waste your time. Uh, too many young men waste their time on frivolous things. Um, find what God's called you to do personally and get to work doing it. And um, disciple other people to do the same. That's really the call, man, is uh, take responsibility, love Christ, and honor Him. I love that. Take responsibility. Yeah. And you said a lot there that, uh, that I want to go deeper into, but that, that was really good. Uh, take responsibility. That's that's a really good way to put it because yeah, I feel as, like that's where there's a lot of failing. And as men go, so goes the nations. Um, cultures are built by men who have families to feed. You know, um, we are the ones who it all falls on. 
and we're the ones who God will hold us accountable for. Um, after Adam and Eve sinned, the whole family goes down, and he doesn't come in and say, oh, family, what happened? He says, Adam, where are you? And God is calling young men, hmm. Adam, where are you? God's calling pastors, Adam, where are you? When the nation's falling apart, it's your job. We're, nobody's at the city gate. Nobody's saying what comes in the city and what goes out of the city. Children are being murdered in your own town by chemical abortion, taking pills. And what are you doing twiddling your thumbs and arguing about carpet color, right? Um, take responsibility. And all healthy organisms reproduce themselves. Churches are to be disciplers who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. And churches, if they're healthy, should birth other churches who birth other churches who birth other churches. Churches should be pastor factories. And so the pastors, don't farm your responsibilities out to seminaries. Take responsibility and start one in your own church. Don't farm your kids off to school somewhere else. No, take responsibility and do it in your own church. Every church should have a Bible school. Every church should have um, a ministry to the magistrate. Every church should take responsibility for the people inside their own churches so that they might send them out and make other churches who take responsibility. And the world can be changed, you know. Um, it's, our, it's our duty. And what we're doing is we're, we're buying the lie. We're getting distracted. We're getting pulled off of, uh, we're drifting, you know. Or drifting away from Christ and his mandates. But, uh, yeah, so take responsibility. Do your duty. <laughs> and it's men like me and men like you who are picking up the pieces of broken families and broken baby bodies that you have allowed happen in your own town, you know. Um, so, yeah, and, it, and if you, if you want to get into apologetics, like in def- giving a defense for your faith, um, read your Bible. Too many young men listen to nothing but podcasts. They listen to this sermon and that sermon and this good theologian and that good theologian, this podcast, that podcast. They listen to so many things. Hey, did you read your Bible today? I listened to Paul Washer. Does that count? No. <laughs> read your Bible. If you want to study theology, if you want to study um, you know, apologetics, I'd say spend, if you have 30 minutes in a day to study it, spend 29 minutes reading your Bible and then another minute you know, listening to Paul Washer or whatever else. Like, it is the word of God that the Holy Spirit uses um, to convict us, to, con- to teach us, to, re- to rebuke us, and to correct us, you know, so that we might be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Uh, so read your Bibles, you know. Don't believe a word that I say or you say because we said it. Like, search the scripture to see if it's true. Um, yeah, scripture's simple. We just have to do it. <laughs> oh, this is... Uh can't argue with anything there. <laughs> yeah. No, that's really good. Um, and thank you once again for joining me today. No, but it, we'll have to do this again sometime soon. Cool. So I'm going to get you on record. You're going to do this again? I will, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, Pastor Seth. Awesome. I really appreciate you joining me today. And cool. thank you all for joining us. We really appreciate you tuning into the Men of True Worth podcast. Uh, if you made it this far, like, share, comment, let us know what you think. And since we'll have Pastor Seth on again here in a few months, maybe um, let us know what you want us to talk more about next time. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you. So this is going on your MySpace? Um. <laughs> <laughs> yes.